Well, I must admit the last two weeks have been overwhelming. We got our COVID diagnosis. We got the official diagnosis on a Tuesday. We got it by text message of all things. Very impersonal, not at all encouraging. And then the next day, the health department called and confirmed when our symptoms began. And that's when they told us that we could not leave the house for 10 days. For 10 days, we were in isolation. And I'm telling you, being told you can't leave your home for 10 days, it, it can, it's a little overwhelming at the beginning. It's sad. And my first thought was, how am I going to make it? How am I going to do this? And then you realize you do it one day at a time. You make it one day at a time. What's the old saying? How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? The realization hit me early on that my only job for the next 10 days was to get better. Uh, that was it. I want you to hear that. My job was to get better. My job was not to figure out who it was that had infected me and find a way to get even with that person. Still have no idea where I picked it up. My job was not to figure out which one of the conspiracy theories behind COVID-19 that I thought was the right one and to, to promote that conspiracy theory. That, that wasn't my job. My job was to get better. And so every morning I got up, I monitored my temperature. I checked my blood oxygen level. I drank plenty of fluids. I ate even when I didn't feel like eating. I got lots of sleep. And every day my job was to get better. It's that simple. Focus on the one thing, the one thing that you can do. Focus on what needs to be done. Focus on the job before you. That's, that's true of COVID. That's true of cancer. That's, that's true of a cold. It's true of your mental health as much as it's true of your physical health. Focus on that one thing that you can do, one positive step that you can take every day and then take that step. It's something that's also true for us as a church. There are so many things in our world that overwhelm us, and yet we have one thing before us, one thing that we have to focus on. We have one job. That job is spelled out for us in the book of Acts in chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 6 through 11 today in that chapter. You know, two weeks ago it was Easter. It seems like a lifetime ago to me. But two weeks ago was Easter. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, the promise of new life, the promise of a new hope through Him. But you know Easter is not the end of the story. Easter is just the beginning of the church. Our job as a church is not to make it through Easter and then start all over again and make it to the next Easter and make it to the next Easter. Now, our job is to do what Jesus left us here to do as a church. We have one job. Our job is to focus on that and do that job. And that's what we read about here in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What Jesus lays out for the disciples, for us in these verses, is the target for the church from that day until, until he returns, a, a target that continues for us to this day. He's never changed his final orders for us. He's never changed our focus. We have one job. Jesus calls us to witness. It's verse 8, verse 8 that gives us the heart of Jesus' message for his church until the end of time. Verse 8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I love the simplicity of that. I think there's beauty in the simplicity of Jesus' words here. You and I to this day, we still use the word witness and we still understand the word witness in the same way that Jesus' original audience understood it. You know, in my life, I've been called to court two times to be a witness. One time I had to witness about a signature on a bill. And I had to witness that, yes, that is that man's signature. And where he signed, it says that he will pay his bill, the bill that he is refusing to pay right now. That was, that was what that signature meant. And I witnessed that he had indeed signed that bill. The other, well, the other time was a matter of a friend of mine who had done something very wrong. And yet I believe, I believed he deserved grace. I believed he deserved a second chance. In both cases, I was called to court to tell what I knew, one about a signature and the other about a, a man's character. That's exactly what Jesus is saying when he calls his disciples to be witnesses. That's what he's asking for us, from us. That is our one job. But we'd have to confess it's very easy for us to get distracted. It was easy for them to get distracted, and it's easy for us also. Well, look at how the passage begins. Verse 6, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> Did you hear their question? It's a political question. Are you going to overthrow the Romans now? When are we going to overthrow the Romans? When are we going to take charge? They were distracted by the politics of the day. And just like we might get a little obsessed with things that are happening in our world, we might get a little obsessed with politics today, and we might have questions about that. They had questions also. But listen, listen to Jesus' response, and let's hear his response for us also. He says in verse 7, It is not for you to know times 
or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know those things. It's not your job, in other words. Your job is to tell what you do know. Your job is to be my witnesses. A witness tells what they know. A witness tells what they've seen. A witness tells what they have experienced. And I want you to hear again, verse 8. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. To those who were present that day, it was a matter of telling people that they had seen the risen Jesus, that they knew that he had been crucified, they knew that he had been buried, and they knew that he was alive again. He was risen, and that they knew his power. They knew the truth of his sacrifice for sin. They knew the new life of freedom that Jesus promised. And while very few of us could say that we've seen the risen Jesus, we know that truth. We know the truth of his life. And we have experienced, you have experienced the new life that he offers. You've known his presence in the midst of your life's struggles. And you've got your own story to tell. You've got the story to tell about what you have witnessed. Sometimes we talk about testimonies. We talk about testimony time. And words like that can be a little overwhelming for us and be a little bit scary. And, and we start to say, what if I don't have all the answers? What if I don't have all the answers? What if someone asks me questions and I don't have the answers to them? What did Jesus say? He said, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know everything. He's not asking you to have all the answers. He's not asking you to be able to explain the deep mysteries of the faith. But what, you, what do you know? Well, you know that you're not the same person you were before you encountered Jesus. You're not the same person you were before you became a Christian. And someone can ask you how you know he lives, and you can say, he lives within my heart. That's quite simply the call. The call is to be a witness. And Jesus calls us to be witnesses wherever we go. There's a lot of meaning locked in that one verse, verse 8. In fact, verse 8 becomes kind of the blueprint for the rest of the book of Acts. It, it's not simply that the disciples were to witness the truth about what they knew about Jesus, but that their story, their witness would drive them wherever they went, however they got there. Again, verse 8, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here are those places where Jesus calls them to witness. Now, chances are you and I are not going to go witness in Jerusalem, and we're probably not going to go witness in Judea. We're definitely not going to go witness in Samaria. But you know, there are places in your life, there are places in your experience that correspond with these places. And you and I still have one job. The job is to witness. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Well, that was their home. That's where they lived. That was the place they were most comfortable. That's the place where everybody knew their names. 
They spoke the same language as the people in Jerusalem. They, they knew the hearts of the people in Jerusalem. There were concerns that the people in that community had that the disciples shared those concerns. You have your own Jerusalem. You have that place where you are most comfortable. You have that place where people know you, where, where they even respect you. And if you have a story to tell, the people in your Jerusalem, they want to hear your story. They want to know your heart. They want to know your story. And you've got your Judea also. Now physically, physically, we might think of Judea as kind of the county that, that uh, Jerusalem was in. It was the county that kind of surrounded Jerusalem. That fits in our language a little bit better. Uh, Judea is the place where they, they spoke the same language, they shared the same concerns, they lived there. It was a wider circle, but you're familiar with the landscape, you're familiar with the needs, you're familiar with the people that live in Judea. But I'd, I'd like to ask you to consider this. Let's not think of our Judea as a physical place. Let's maybe think of our Judea as a, as a spiritual place, maybe as an emotional place, maybe even as a, a mental place, a place where we've allowed our minds and our hearts to dwell at one time. And I would like to ask you to consider this question. What is your spiritual Judea? It may not be an actual place, but rather it may be a need that you can speak into. It may be a need that you understand and you can bring the hope of the living Jesus into the life of someone else that shares that same need. You know, your Judea may be depression because it might be that you have lived in that country, the country of depression for a while. It might be that you've known the, the needs and the hearts of people who, have, who are dealing with depression right now. If you've ever been there, you have something to say. You have a witness for the people who are facing depression. Your Judea might be grief because you've You've walked through grief. You understand grief. Your Judea might be, it might be an addiction. It might be alcoholism. Your Judea may be cancer. Right now, your, your Judea, my Judea may be COVID-19 because I, I've walked through that myself with a mild case, but I've understood some of the fear and some of the concern and some of what you go through with that. Your Judea may be maybe an abuse that you've suffered at the hands of someone else. Your Judea may be a hurt, a wound that hurt you. Your Judea may be a very dark place that you lived for a while, a dark place that you're maybe still going through, but you've known the presence and the power of the risen Jesus to see you through that place. There are other people who are hurting in that same place, there are other people who are hurting and they would love to know that there is hope. They would love to hear your story. They would love to hear from you. 
You read the rest of the book of Acts, and as I said, verse 8 becomes a blueprint for the rest of the book. The rest of the book of Acts is the story of how the church expanded from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But here's the thing. As you read through Acts, they never went willingly. They never went to those new places willingly. Every time the church expanded, every time they moved out and followed Jesus' plan, it was accompanied by times of trouble, times of difficulty. For example, in, in chapter 8, in chapter 8, this man named Saul of Tarsus, he has persecuted the church. He oversaw the stoning of their friend Stephen. And the church panics, the church is scared, and they are dispersed. They run. And we're told in Acts chapter 8 that Philip, a faithful preacher, a faithful servant, that Philip went down into Samaria, the home of the hated Samaritans, and the church expanded. The church grew. They continued to witness to the truth about Jesus. Now, the reality is right now, there may be places like Samaria in your life, places where you can't imagine ever going and people that you can't imagine ever communicating with, ever talking to. That doesn't change the call. That doesn't change the plan. That doesn't change your one job. The final word is witness. Look at how this passage is wrapped up, beginning in verse 9. And when he had said these things, when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And that's it. That's the last word from Jesus. That's our one job. He didn't get halfway up and turn around and come back and say, oh yeah, one more thing. Here's some other things you've got to do. He didn't come back halfway through the book of Acts and say, I have some amendments to my first statement. And he never said, you know, if you're in the middle of a global pandemic or if you're in the middle of, of economic trouble or, or, or any other kind of trouble, th this doesn't apply to you. J Jesus never said that. No, his final instruction for you and me was for us to tell our story. Nothing changes that. Nothing is more important than that. Nothing else defines who we are as Christians, who we are as a church. The final word is witness. And that's because there is no other source of hope for the people in your world. There are people in your Jerusalem people in your immediate sphere of influence, your family, your friends, your neighborhood, the place where you work. There are people in your Jerusalem and no one else can reach them but you. They won't listen to other people's stories, but they will listen to your story. And there are people in your Judea, there are people who have known the same struggles that, that you know, there are people who share the same pains that you've been through, and they need to know that there is a source of strength, there is a source of hope. They need your story. But remember, it's, 
It's not just about your Jerusalem. It's not just about your Judea. It's about your Samaria. And it's about your ends of the earth. It's about people that you and I can reach that we can't even imagine speaking to right now. We can't imagine reaching them at this moment. But they're out there. There are people who are different from us. People who have different lives than ours, different values. There are people that you know that you may disagree with in some very strong ways. That doesn't mean they couldn't be touched by your story. That doesn't mean that you couldn't reach them, that they couldn't be reached by your witness. The final word is not to ignore them. The final word is not let somebody else do it. The final word is witness. There's an old story about a man named E. Stanley Jones. Uh, E. Stanley Jones was a missionary in the early part of the 20th century. He was an American missionary who went to India and had great success there uh, at the ends of the earth in India, far, far away from places he was comfortable. It was kind of like his Samaria even. But when E. Stanley Jones was young, He wanted to be a preacher so bad. He wanted to be a preacher, and everybody knew that he wanted to be a preacher. Now, the first time that he spoke, the first time that he preached in church, everyone came to hear him. They all wanted to come hear what E. Stanley Jones had to say. The church was packed. His family was all there. His friends were all there. The whole community had come out to hear what this man, this young man who really wanted to be a preacher, had to say. And he stepped up to the pulpit. He started his sermon. He got six sentences in and he froze. (laughs) Deers in the headlights. He just suddenly froze and he could not go on any further. The crowd started to giggle. A girl in the front was laughing at him. And finally, he, he hung his head and he said, Friends, I can't preach. He said, I can't preach, but you know my life. You know what I was like before Jesus. You know what I'm like now after my conversion. And while I can't preach, I love the Lord and I will witness for Him for the rest of my life. At the end of that very short, just six or seven sentence message, one young man came forward and he said, I want to find out what you have found. That launched a ministry that spanned the globe. That launched a ministry that changed thousands of lives around the world. And it all started with him simply telling his story. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. I want you to hear those words for yourself now, just for yourself. Don't hear them for the whole church. Don't hear them for the select few who decide they're going to be preachers or pastors. Jesus doesn't just want you. He wants your story. Who do you know that needs to hear your story? Who do you know that would love to find out what you have found? 
That prospect doesn't need to be scary and it doesn't need to be complicated either. There are people in your life that you're going to talk to anyway. You're going to talk to anyway. You're going to interact with them. You're going to share life with them. People who know your heart, people who trust you. And if you're a Christian, they know your hope. What can you do to share that hope? How can you tell them your story? How can you show them that Jesus lives? Show them that he lives. And when they ask you how you know he lives, you can tell them he lives within my heart. That's at the heart of communion. It's not just about a piece of bread. It's not just about a cup of juice. It's about the reality that Christ is with you. And we come to the table week after week to remind ourselves of that truth that we are not alone. We also come to remind ourselves that we are not the people we were before we encountered Jesus, that our story has changed, our witness has changed, and we have a story to share as we prepare our hearts to partake today. Let's not just pray about communion. Let's not just ask the Lord's blessing over this. Let's ask the Lord's blessing over the communion that we will share as we interact with others and as we have opportunities to share our story. Wouldn't you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the bread that represents your son's body. We thank you for the cup that represents his blood. We thank you that we are not the same people since we encountered Jesus. Father, there are people in our Judeas. There are people in our Jerusalem. There are people in our Samarias. There are people we can't even imagine reaching right now. They need our story. They need to know that we have a hope that comes only through the presence of the living Jesus. Lord, give us the courage to speak to them. Give us wisdom in our words and help us, Lord, to trust your presence and your purpose, not just for us, but for our story. And we thank you that we know you live because you live in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. God bless. Go in peace.